Good evening and welcome back to another edition of Let's Talk Cricket here on Free Valleys Radio. And this week I'm delighted to be joined back by Matthew Roberts. Good evening, Matt. How are you, mate? Good evening, George. I've, uh, I feel a bit under pressure today. I've got big shoes to fill after last week's episode because uh, I haven't got as many stats as Nick and I haven't got as many coaching badges as Ian. So um, I'll do my best. Unfortunately, you have to settle for a PE teacher on holiday this week. And I mean, that's a great way to start the show, isn't it? Making a disclaimer straight away that you're not going to be able to live up to last week's show. And I mean, <laughs> I mean, your cricketing knowledge has not let you down so far, you know. It's it's worked a treat for you. You know, you've even been offered your own show, down. haven't you? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. I'll, I'll hold my own. Um, it's been nice to actually uh, watch some cricket in the morning. It's been a pretty good start to, to most days. Has limited my productivity at work a little bit, but... Um, Obviously, a, a, a T20 World Cup in Australia is not a bad uh, bad way to spend October and November. No, absolutely not. And I'll be honest, it's been really nice to wake up to it. Obviously, I was a little bit disappointed today with the weather playing a role in South African Zimbabwe's match, which was looking to be quite a good finish, you know, at one point. But obviously, the rain, rain affecting that. We'll come on to talk about a bit more detail about, you know, the sort of format of the game and whether T20 cricket can go from there and go from there. Um, also we're going to sort of try and go through different sort of moments in the World Cup that we've seen so far look at some different results sort of rate how England have gone on so far from that perspective but I think as a starting point and obviously the end of last week's show I sort of asked the prediction of everyone on the show who they thought was going to win the World Cup so I thought actually before we dive into to, to it Matt I thought I'd just ask you straight away who do you think is going to win the World Cup? I think it's a, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? I think, obviously, T20 cricket is very much a case of anyone anyone on their day can win it. Um, I think we know full well from all the franchise tournaments that there are now and the shorter format tournaments that it's almost... Sometimes the best team over the whole tournament doesn't win it. <clears throat> um, and it's almost a case of timing it right and being the team that is peaking at the right time. I think we in particular, didn't we, we when we were talking about the, the women's um, Commonwealth Games and we were really bigging up England's chances. And then when it came to the two crucial games in that semi-final, um, and then obviously ultimately they, they didn't win that one and then ended up even losing the, the bronze medal match. So although they looked really good in those group stages, they didn't quite manage to cash in. So I think with this tournament format as well, where you've got the... The, the Super 12 in those two pools of sixes as well. So the fact that you've got to have to play five games in there and then obviously time it right to, to be the best team for the semi-final and the final, you know, is the team that's going to win it necessarily going to win all seven games? I don't think so. Like I say, there, there seems to be a bit of weather knocking around as well, which um, isn't always uh, what you'd anticipate. I mean, if you'd asked me before the warm-up games and, and the tournament, I think you'd you'd be silly to write off Australia, obviously on their own patch and as the holders and just naturally a, a very gifted side. But I mean, they, they've had a, a real shocking start. You know, even the performances against England weren't great. Um, and then obviously to, to get absolutely hammered by New Zealand, um, it was a real sort of eye-opener. But again, you know, it, that's, that's one game in their tournament and with if they'll be hoping with six more to go, if they can time it right, um, in front of 90 or 1,000 in the final. I think they'd, they'd fancy their chances. But I think if you're looking at conditions-wise, I think England, New Zealand, Australia, one of those three. Um, 
I mean, again, if you asked me before, I would have I would have liked to think um, that the West Indies would have maybe fancied their chances a bit of an outsider's, a bit of a dark horse. But I'm sure we'll talk about in a second that you know they really didn't didn't kick on. Um, from a from a personal point of view, I'd really like to see Pakistan do well. I just think that 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 big um, seven match series that we had against them was was really close and, and, and good fun. And when you're watching a team for seven matches, you sort of get to know their players a little bit better and you know their quirks and things like that. So, I mean, to, to pick a winner, it's going to be really really difficult. But if I had to narrow it down to to I mean, I'd like to see New Zealand do it. I think if if it's not going to be England, New Zealand or Pakistan for me, and then um, hopefully Australia carry on their form and uh, don't make the semi-finals, George. God, that was almost a politician's answer. Are you sure you're interviewing for the right podcast here and not uh, who should be the next <laughs> Prime Minister? But anyway, that's other events and news for another podcast <laughs> another day. So you're going New Zealand. Just to double confirm, you're going New Zealand. Well, my, my heart says England... Obviously, um, and I think if outside of England, if England were going to, you know, choose a choose a nation to, to play a T Twenty World Cup in with this current side, um, I think Australia is is the place that they would like to go. Um, I just think already, you know, from from the warm up games that it's the batsmen that we've got at the top like pace on the ball, and I think Butler and Hales and it's all of it. it's, it's looking good for them I'm hoping and um, so yeah obviously my heart would, would love England to win it and I think they will get into the latter stages um, but it's probably New Zealand's time isn't it I mean they've, they've come so close in so many tournaments I think they're probably going to really fancy their chances and obviously had, a, had a, an amazing start last week yeah, absolutely. And I think an unbelievable performance, particularly by a former, former Somerset player, Devon Conway, 92 not out, led that attack really well in the batting lineup, opened the batting there. And really, I mean, it was quite a comprehensive win in the end against Australia, which obviously we're going to look at a bit more detail in a moment. But I just want to pull you apart. Obviously, Heart of Hearts, we're all sort of hoping that um, England will make it and England will win. But sort of assessing England, obviously, as we're coming into this competition like we did in last week's show, how would you weigh up England at the moment? I was, um, a couple of weeks ago, or, you know, before that Pakistan series, I was a little bit, I think if you sat down and looked to the side and it didn't really come across as like England sort of knew their best lineup, which I think was a bit worrying coming into a major tournament, but it just seemed really balanced. Um, even with... Topley unfortunately having to miss out for injury to then replace him with Mills I think it just shows the strength in the side and the fact that we've spoken before about the bowling um, there's a few injuries you know there and the fact that we haven't even got Archer is not even available and I just think every every side that England have put out in this format over the last month or so and there has been an awful lot of games you've never really looked at it and thinking even though there's been a lot of changes, you never thought, oh, that doesn't doesn't look quite right. And I just think, out of nowhere, Matthew Mott and Josh Butler have sort of managed to get this formula. And I, even with the, the Milan situation, I know a few people you know, in the media have been saying they're not sure whether how he fits in that side. But there was one game he ended up coming in at, at seven because they, you know, they're, they're flexible enough these days to, if they got off to a flyer, then Stokes came in at three and Milan moved down and, 
if we don't quite get off to that flyer, then Milan can sort of knock it around and nail it around. I think he got a 70 odd the other day, didn't he? And um, yeah, I, I just the the one thing at the moment is probably Ben Stokes's form with the bat, um, but then he seems to be doing a bit more of a, a leading role with the ball. He's been opening it up a couple of times. I really like Harry Brook and I hope he manages to stay. And then obviously out of nowhere now, Liam Livingston's back in the fold. So to bring someone like that back in, in Australia, um, where he obviously plays in, in the Big Bash and has done very well over there, is only a strength. So, um, yeah, I think I think they're going to be pleased with the, the build-up. And obviously, you know, they, they've won their first game and they bowled really well. I would, I think they'd probably like to have knocked off the runs a little bit quicker and a little bit easier in terms of net run rate. But at the end of the day, are, you know, are they going to moan? Are they going to be fussy about that? You know, the first game in the tournament, you want a sort of a strong performance. And they definitely showed that with the ball. Um, and I think the batting is there. And, I, you know, if, if you look down that order from the other day where they had Butler, Hales, Milan, Stokes, Livingston, Brook, Alley, Curran, I think... You know that's as good as as anyone's got in there, and you know if one of them needs to drop out, then there's you know even in like David Willey if he's coming in, you know to add something else with the bat and the ball. So um, yeah, I mean it's exciting. It's, it is an exciting you know bunch of individuals that are out there. So um, I think if they get on a roll, there's going to be a few teams that definitely won't want to play them in the in the latter stages if they get there. And would you? Um... Obviously, the experience that quite a few of these England players now have with the big bash over in Australia. Would you perhaps suggest this is perhaps England's one of England's best opportunities to win this T20 World Cup? Would you perhaps even go as far as suggesting T20 cricket is perhaps England's best format? So they are obviously ranked sef- second currently in the world for T20 cricket. Would you suggest it's their perhaps their best format? Yeah, I, I think it probably is right now, isn't it? I think, but then is is that the case of the, the drop off in the fifty over game where, although we're world champions at the moment, there's not an awful lot of fifty over cricket being played. Um, and then the Test side has obviously had it had a really good summer, but consistently, England's white ball cricket since 2015, you know, since that that blip has has definitely been the stronger suit, and I think you can see that with the players that are coming through. Um, you know, your you likes of Harry Brook, Ben Duckett's been called called back into the test team. Bairstow's done really well in the test team. They're technically white ball batters. Um, so yeah, I think I think it, like I said earlier, if in terms of foreign conditions, I think England are best suited for Australia, New Zealand, that sort of area. It'd be interesting to see how they go in the uh, the subcontinent next year. That's the 50 over World Cup, isn't it? But I wouldn't necessarily back us to be strong favourites for that one. Whereas I think I think this England side, looking again at that that batting lineup in particular on good pitches out in Australia, um, could do an awful lot of damage. Yeah, and I think also something now to sort of pick apart before we start to dive in a bit more of the the news of the World Cup that sort of happened in the games that have taken place is, I suppose this is uh, Butler's real first test really, wasn't it, in this World Cup? Really see what kind of captain he is and see whether the limited overs game does can carry on its dominance with England England in there without Morgan at the uh, the height of it. Because obviously, 
T20 cricket, there's lots of captaincy moments that need to be made. Obviously, we know it's a fast-flowing game, and I know sometimes luck might come into it, and margins for error are a lot smaller in the T20 format. But obviously, this is going to be the real opportunity where we're going to see what kind of captain Butler is, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think we we spoke about a long time ago. You know, when that the one day series that happened in in the Netherlands, and that was his first real sort of taste at it full time in in the slightly longer format. Um, obviously, the, the Pakistan series was a shame that he missed out on that, and Moeen obviously stepped in, didn't he? And I think the fact that he did such a good job, and he does such a good job historically in our county blast as well. Um, that he's definitely got someone to fall back on. Um, you've also got a lot of experience in there in terms of, like I say, you know, there's a lot of cricketers in there that have played a lot of franchise cricket. Um, and you've also got, you know, Ben Stokes as the test captain as well. So he's, he's going to have a lot of um, help out there. I just hope that he gets some scores quite early. I think that is going to, you know, you don't want a Josh Butler who's captaining in a major tournament for the first time but also isn't getting any runs and is trying to open the batting and is trying to keep and is trying to captain. Um, so obviously got 18 the other day and, but he's, he's in good form. Um, so like I said, I just, I just hope that um, they're playing Wednesday, aren't they? I just hope that they manage, he manages to get some runs quite early and then hopefully it will all sort of fall into place for him, but he's definitely going to be looking at the experience around him Um you know, I've, I've never, you know, you might have done it, George. I've never kept 10 captains at the same time. I don't know how easy it would be. So, um, yeah, like I say, I just think there's an awful lot of experience from around the world in terms of the different competitions they've played out there um, that you'd like to think that even if he was having a bit of an off day, there'll be someone to, to get a hold of them and, uh, and sort them out. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you've, I think you're absolutely right. Sort of keeping and captaincy it's quite a tricky thing. Obviously, I know I'm not at the heights of international cricket at any measures, but obviously at low-level club club games, it can be quite tricky at times where you're sort of thinking about a bowling change and all of a sudden the bowler's bowling a ball and you're trying to stop the ball from almost hitting you in the chest when you're trying to get your gloves there right at the right time. Sometimes you can switch off those key moments, those key decisions, especially when you're trying to keep um, those places. So I can only but imagine how difficult that can be on top of trying to captain the side. But obviously... There's been plenty of wicketkeeper batsmen that have captained, their, captained these shorter formats of the game and done it really, really quite successfully. When you think about MS Dhoni, obviously Quinton de Kock captain South Africa for a period of time. So it can be done and it can be really, really successful in those points. And obviously being a wicketkeeper in the shorter format of the game, you get the, bat, you get the batter's view ultimately of what they're going to see and where, where they're hitting the runs, where those gaps are. And obviously you're going to be seeing the pitch from a long, long period of time of what the bowler's trying to do. So actually... It's probably the best place for a captain to be. Obviously, I know you'd much rather be in the the bowler's ear, perhaps at mid or mid off when something's going wrong. You know, I think back to the 2019 World Cup and that super over with Joffrey Archer, who, by the way, is really quite exciting to see him back into the nets bowling. That's come out over social media over the weekend. So that's really positive signs for England's pace attack to see Joffrey Archer back. But obviously, that super over with Owen Morgan, as soon as that first six went over by Martin Guptill going going over to him having that conversation having his ear I know that's probably the ideal that's the best position I like to be when I'm a catcher that middle mid off in, in the bowler's ear but I think he could at the same time he could easily replace that with more experienced bowler where Chris Jordan I think is going to have a big a big uh, series in this World Cup has really got to show his um, 
his stance as the leader of this World T20 bowling attack alongside Moen Ali as well, who's got to have a voice and have an opinion there, I think. Yeah, definitely. And like I say, if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a deputy, Moen is a is an amazing one to have, isn't he? And like I say, to lead that team so well in Pakistan away for for seven games, and obviously the one managed to win four of them. But again, he's been really successful um, in his county side as well. So um, if it doesn't, you know, quite work out for Joss, or if those injury problems do come back, then we've we've definitely got a very capable deputies to step in absolutely and I think uh, moving away from that now we're going to come back to England a bit when we sort of look through their game in a bit more detail Um, Matt your thoughts then on this sort of ever-growing sort of World Cup T20 obviously I know we touched on it quite a bit detail in last week's show but do you like this new format where there's sort of like a qualifying round before getting into the Super 12s and obviously that's going to be eventually expanded more when we get to the USA and West Indies in 2024 First of all, are you a fan of that? I thought um, Ian's views on it last week were, were really good. and I think it was really strange to see um, the likes of the West Indies and Sri Lanka in there. And, when, and what was pleasing in a way is that you sort of sit there and you think, well, actually, it's two from four of these. And when you've got a group of Sri Lanka, Netherlands, Namibia, UAE, you think in Sri Lanka and one other. Obviously, that did happen. Um, but it was a bit touch and go towards the end. And then when you're thinking of West Indies, Scotland, Ireland and Zimbabwe, you're thinking it's going to be West Indies and one other. But the fact that the fact that West Indies didn't get through, and we'll talk about that in a bit more detail in a minute, I guess, but it just I think for me it just shows that it's such a shame that these smaller nations don't get more of a chance. And I think what what's stopping them from taking three or four scalps. Um, so if you think, obviously, Netherlands managed to win two games, Ireland managed to win two, Zimbabwe managed to win two, Scotland managed to win one. I know they were playing each other in there, but the fact that West Indies ended up finishing bottom of their qualifying group just shows you that actually, in the shortest form of our game that's internationally recognised, anything can happen. And I just think that... Um, I think you brought it up as well, actually, last week, the, the, the England-Holland game at Lords, And I just I can't believe that that didn't really inspire the ICC to think, well, why don't we just chuck them in for longer? And Yeah, it's great that they're getting a chance, obviously. Um, but if you were, you know, the UAE and you've ended up, and Namibia, you've only won one game, but you've only ended up playing... Well, let's, let's talk about the UAE. They've managed to play games against Namibia, Netherlands, and then they've managed to test themselves against Sri Lanka. They've effectively only really played one team that has actually, they wouldn't normally play, so to speak. Um, I think it's a bit of a shame. I think that they definitely could be um, shoehorned in. It depends on you know the amount of games and stuff like that. I mean, could there even just been one big group of all those qualifiers and four of the eight go through just to give them more exposure and more games? I don't know, but... Um, I don't know that you know the ICC's thoughts behind it, but I definitely would like to see um, those smaller nations get a more of a chance in the bigger pot. I know we could argue that they need to um, to earn it, but for for Ireland and Zimbabwe, I think it's a it's a great, and obviously the Netherlands is a great opportunity to show what they can do, and I I hope that one of them, or if not a couple of them, take a few wins in that. Super 12 situation and, and it might sort of open up 
I know you're saying also there's more teams next time, but again, I don't know what the actual format is for that yet. Um, but yeah, as long as they don't beat England, <laughs> uh, I'm quite looking forward to see how they get on. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, Ireland had an incredible win to beat ultimately the West Indies wasn't it to get into the Super 12 that win it that win it all game all cost to get through which was really really quite a good for them and obviously we know Ireland's history of England has happened many times in the <laughs> the longer format of the World Cup I have many flashbacks of um, Kevin O'Brien hitting that unbelievable 100 to, to allow um, Ireland to win that famous victory I think it was am I right I'm thinking it was in 2011 against in in in, in, in India I'm thinking that was when that World Cup happened. I'm thinking that moment, Matt. Am I right there? Oh, I don't know. I remember the game, and like I say Kevin O'Brien definitely was the um, yeah the, the the one to to score the runs. But again, like would that have happened if we had like a much smaller congested um, format? So at the end of the day, the football World Cup, obviously that's coming up in in December. There's a lot more teams in there. I know they've had a bit more of a stringent qualifying process, but again, there is the opportunity for more of those smaller nations to do something. Um, and the fact that um, you flagged it up last week, the, the amount of actual nations that are now playing 2020 cricket, I think you said there was like 76 or something like that. You know, why are we not doing our best to to sort of push it as much as possible. So it is good that obviously the ICC are looking into expanding it um, even further. Um, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see what format they come up with for that one. Yeah, absolutely. I think the final point on that, then, Matt, before we move into looking at some results of this uh, World Cup, and in particular, we're going to move towards thinking about West Indies and what's happened. Um, I think something that they've got to do a bit more of, and I think Ian touched on it in quite a lot of detail in last week's uh, last week's show, was you know that these qualifiers are happening. They're obviously always looking to qualify for these major competitions, and obviously it's all about trying to make sure the quality gets to the final, the final bit, which is obviously this is the grand finals as as such for these associate members, and obviously going into then the main pool going from there. But I think the ICC could perhaps do more for advertisement and perhaps publicity and making it maybe more accessible for people around the world to see these other countries when they're batting out for these qualifiers because we don't often see we often see it you know might ping up on a on a on a on a on a sport website or ping through on on a social media outlet but obviously we never really see these games sort of the highlights are such a way unless you're a supporter of those associate nations so i think actually you know it'd be nice to see if these are if there is a, a, a more more sort of rounds before these qualifying groups A and B get created. It'd be nice to see that actually happen in the same country. But again, you're absolutely right. I suppose the other factor that comes into play, unlike the Football World Cup, we've got all these other you now regional competitions for T20, got all these domestic competitions, you know, for first class cricket, for 50 over cricket, all being played around the world. It's an obviously test match series going on, all these tours like. I suppose the problem is it's um, it's the time factor, isn't it? And eating up and going from there, because I suppose to some extent, how how many of these people would be, how many of these people playing this game, how many players would be interested in actually going to a longer format of a T20 competition when they could earn a lot more money in the IPL or the CPL or the Pakistan Super League or, you know, even in the 100 as such. It's one of those difficult, difficult situations, isn't it, to try and balance the balance the exposure, I suppose, of uh, lower lower league associate members of cricket and obviously making sure all players are happy in playing the game. Would you not agree? 
Yeah, definitely. I think we, we've spoken about in the last, you know, God knows how many episodes about is the, the ultimately what we want to do is grow the game, isn't it? And you want exposure. Um, it's interesting that when the the um, the qualifiers are happening, so to speak, the only the only way I ever get to know about it is if the BBC sport website brings up if Scotland or Ireland are playing. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it did surprise me when I looked into it how much international T Twenty cricket is played, um, and I think um, it might have been Ian last week flagged up that I think it's gone away from you know the likes of back in the day Kenya and, and teams like that who were really trying to break into the fifty over, uh, 50 over sort of get that status. You know, why would they now? Because again, if you're gonna if you're gonna get a scalp, if you're gonna beat one of the big nations. It is in 2020, and we've seen it already in this tournament, um, and in, and in some of the build-up. So, um, yeah, just I, I mean, I'd be really interested in following it, and I think it is something that again needs to be tapped into. And without being funny, if you look at some of these, some of the nations that are playing, you know, it'd be interesting to see what their sort of their rules are in terms of you know who plays for them, because again there might be some people that have the option to go and play, you know, some good sort of county cricketers or, you know, slightly below that, that might have the option to go and play international cricket for someone else through residency or just through, you know, we, we laughed and joked, didn't we, about moving to, where was it, Greece or somewhere to try and get a game of international cricket. But, you know, there, there might be the option for some people, you know, and are they going to actually go for that unless they're seeing it? Um, so yeah, you know, I'm very much a. If there's cricket on somewhere, I will watch it, and I think uh, definitely to try and grow the game even more, you want to try and get it on, whether it's a streaming site or, or TV somewhere. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation. At AJ Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. So, Matt, obviously one of the key major teams you've mentioned that got knocked out in the qualifying round was the West Indies. And obviously they didn't get off to the best of starts for their sort of world T20 campaign. Obviously one of their key players, Hetmeyer, not being not able to get across to Australia by missing missing his flight. Obviously got rearranged for family issues, but then missed missed the flight on Monday and obviously then got replaced by Brooks, who came across to replace him. Obviously Andre Russell as well wasn't deemed 
um, in form to be selected. So they're missing key players for this competition. And obviously, we then sort of saw their warm-up matches perhaps didn't go to plan, you know. They did win by 17 runs against United Arab Emirates. They obviously 152 for nine in their 20 overs. United Arab Emirates, 135-6. They won by 17 runs. And then their second warm-up game against the Netherlands was then abandoned without a ball being played due to the weather. Again, the weather we're going to talk about a bit later. And then obviously... Their first game in Group B of the qualifiers, quite convincingly beaten by Scotland. 160 for five, Scotland hit. West Indies were bowled out for 118 all out. And then their second game, they managed to beat Zimbabwe. West Indies hit 153 for seven. And then Zimbabwe were bowled out for 122 all out. So West Indies won by 31 runs. And then West Indies, in their final game, they needed to win. And Ireland needed to win. Whoever was going to win that game was going to go through. Uh, West Indies 146 for five off their 20 overs. Ireland 150 for one. Ireland won by nine wickets. I mean, that is a absolute slap in the face, isn't it, for for West Indies? When you think about that, and you think about obviously they've won the competition twice, and they're you know, and you've generally thought this sort of campaign. As you spoke quite earlier on, was going to be a quite a good moment for West Indies to play and be quite challenging in these conditions. So, what has gone wrong for West Indies, Matt? It's just a, it's a real strange one for me, and it it just seems to be with West Indies cricket. Um, obviously, we're not quite in our era, George. Um, you might be a bit offended that I'm putting you in the same era as me there, but in terms of you know we've grown up knowing of these brilliant West Indies teams of the 70s and 80s, and it, through me getting into cricket, they weren't really much of a force, and then all of a sudden when um, the white ball um, stuff came to a bit more prominence and especially 2020 cricket you know they've they've got the foundations there to, to be really really strong um, a lot of their players do play around the world and get picked, picked up for these tournaments um, I think Ian might have mentioned it as well last week that he had a really good point that actually in theory they should have breezed this um qualifying and then because you've almost had a couple of matches in those conditions you'd like to think that they might kick on and and do really well but it just seems to be a very much an all or nothing doesn't it with West Indies they're either going to win it or going to completely you know blow it and you mentioned there a couple of big names um not being picked and it's actually interesting that Andre Russell didn't even get picked up in the in the big bash I think um as one of the top picks for their their draft system he, he didn't get picked but Again, the fact that you know they've got um, Sir Evan Lewis and Nicholas Poran, Jason Holder, Rotherham Powell, who, who scored all those runs against England um, not that long ago, and England West Indies had a really good white ball series not that long ago, you know, and for them to for them to come into those conditions again, you like to think Australian conditions are probably as similar to you know their Caribbean conditions as any foreign sort of land goes I'm just so shocked by it um, and yeah the island performance just just shows you that I think that they almost gave up and Sterling and Balbrino, um opened didn't really look in any trouble whatsoever and that, that bowling attack is, is meant to be you know pretty dangerous if you're thinking of um, the likes of um, even that Akil Hussain you know, who's, who's pretty sharp and how Zoe Joseph came off the back of taking four wickets in the game before Jason Holder was economical but again didn't really look threatening I'm just I'm so surprised and 
it is a bit of a shame for me. I do I do enjoy watching the West Indies play white ball cricket, but um, I think it it is going to show, hopefully, the ICC that these smaller nations are are as strong as some of the bigger nations. And like we've we've said already tonight, just definitely is worth having them in there considering it wasn't that long ago that there was an international tournament. I can't remember which one else was off the top of my head, but it was literally the eight test-playing nations that got put into it, and we didn't have any, you know, associate nations, as, as they were called back then. So, um, yeah, like I said, I, I am I am shocked. I am a bit disappointed as well, because they're normally um, pretty good fun to watch. So, But it could be good for the tournament in terms of, of getting... Um, both Ireland and Zimbabwe um, through, and again, it's it's nice to see um, Zimbabwe getting through and get again the opportunity. Really, because it's been a long time since we sort of seen them on the international stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think something with West Indies as well. They picked quite a few young players that are going to be quite unfamiliar. So the experience they've got on this international stage is going to be a really positive benefit. But leading up to their sort of results, they've been quite inconsistent with their results. Obviously, for the last T, uh, their last ten international games in T Twenty cricket, they go lost, lost, win, lost, 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 win, loss, and obviously then losing to Scotland, winning to Zimbabwe, and then losing to Ireland, and obviously. They don't perhaps have. We've obviously seen such talented, destructive batsmen over the years for these, over the period of time, and we've seen obviously from that point quite a lot. In fact, um, players missing. You know, Kyron Pollard announced his retirement from international cricket only earlier this year. Obviously, no longer have Chris Gale at the top of the order. Carlos Brathwaite, you know, Dwayne Bravo. There's quite a few big names. Obviously, you've talked about mentioned earlier about you know Brian Lara, Savinian Richards. You have all these really, really good players of this limited over format would have been really really positive and it just sort of feels like I don't know it's, it's, surely they're not missing they're not missing the talent is it just poor poor selection of shots would you say poor poor choices out there when they're playing yeah when you when you put it that way it is a potentially whether they will see it as a bit of a transition period and a, and a bit of a changing of the guard but you know it is a case of yeah, some young players have, have got the opportunity to go to a World Cup in a foreign land and and have a go. But is there? Are they, it's whether they go away with that as experience or whether they go away a bit scarred from from what's happened. So um, at the end of the day, I think West Indian cricket will be fine in this format. I think it's a case of um, they're very much um, tailoring their their sort of setup. Um, again, I don't know too much detail about it, but when you listen to the likes of um, Carlos Brathway and Darren Sammy when they're doing their punditry, that they're, they're always sort of talking about how um, Caribbean cricket at the moment is all linked to 2020 and, and shorter formats. But whether or not their, you know, their um, their own sort of leagues and setups, I know you'll see the Caribbean, Caribbean Premier League. You know, is is fairly big and just yeah. It's a funny one, isn't it? I just think hopefully it's a blip for them. You know, everyone everyone has them. England had theirs in 2015 and have come really strong off the back of it. So it just depends how you bounce back from it. But ultimately, they've got to go away and be really disappointed and and come up with a new plan because obviously the plan that they had hasn't worked. And whether that is you know to stick with the youth 
Um, it would be interesting to see, but surely, you know, from, from what we know that the likes of Andre Russell would have, you know, whether he's in form or not, at the end of the day, class is permanent, isn't it? And I, he's a big game player for a big game occasion. And it'd be interesting to know if he did play and if Hetmeyer played, then how much of a difference that would have made. Yeah, absolutely. I think the final thing as well I want to just bring up is um, Sir Andy Roberts has come out. I've, I've got a little quote here from him. He says, Swipers, not batters. Swipers, not batters. So he talks about this idea of the culture of batting, preparation and mentality has linked to a load of poor shot selection where we've sort of seen the sort of maybe the attitude perhaps is ultimately wrong at some point but we often see this don't we the, the sort of idea of T20 cricket is all this idea of trying to clear the rope all the time I mean, obviously you can't label this just one team we see this in domestic cricket we see this all the way around from any form of cricket that we see you know people just swinging the bat as opposed to perhaps at times playing proper cricket shots which we perhaps saw from a few players that have made their way so far in this tournament and have played you mentioned earlier Devon Conway and he he's a he's a plays proper cricket shots and, and scores quickly and David Milan has also done the same he's done really well in this format playing proper cricket shots and I think you know if someone like you know he he's saying you know swipers not what was the what was the quote sorry swipers not swipers not batters swipers not batters um he better not come watch us George <laughs> he might end up with the same opinion. But I just think, um, yeah, there's definitely a way to play. And, you know, I, it's difficult to say, but have they gone and underestimated the situation? You know, if, you know, if you asked 99 out of 100 cricket fans who's going to get through that group, would you really get many people picking Scotland and Zimbabwe over West Indies? I, I don't think you would, but Ireland are strong. We know they're strong. Um but yeah, I mean, they should be getting through a group with Scotland and Zimbabwe in those conditions, shouldn't they? Yeah. And then sort of just moving away now, I just want to talk a bit about the weather, in fact, and how it's impacting the uh, tournament so far. So on Monday, the 24th of October, South Africa played Zimbabwe, and obviously the rain was absolutely tipping it down. They managed to get Zimbabwe's first innings underway, nine overs, and I mean... There was some good. There was a good. There was a good cricket all round. Eventually, Zimbabwe got up to seventy nine for five. Only after you know a few almost run out situations, only Williams ended up being run out. But there was quite a few times where we could have seen quite a few run outs taking place. And then the rain then carried on. South Africa came out to bat. You know, and the game was abandoned after three overs of their innings. It got reduced to seven overs. It got abandoned eventually at the end. No result after three overs. South Africa are on the verge of winning. Obviously, Zimbabwe have never won a T20 international against South Africa at this point. But obviously, game got abandoned. But it got to a point where, I guess, the weather, we forget at times how weather can interfere in cricket matches. And obviously, umpires did everything I think they possibly could to get a game on. But at some points, it looked quite dangerous where it looked like there was so much water along the ground. Bowlers weren't able to frontline the marks. Fielders were struggling in the field. It was, I think it was quite lucky at one point to... Uh, not going to wave out any injuries to, um, to to quite a few players in the end. I don't know. Did you see much of that game? <laughs> I did. So, I was keeping an eye on it. And it was it was just it was baffling, wasn't it? It was a, a very sort of strange situation. Um, but ultimately, it got to the point where they've made the right decision. But they should have made that decision so much earlier. 
um, to the point where Zimbabwe started bowling spinners, didn't they, to, to just make sure that their, their seamers didn't get injured. And I think there was a quote from one of the players that said after they were worried that they wouldn't even have enough players for the next game if it, if it carried on. Um, so it's just at what cost when, you, when you've got such a, a big tournament. Yeah, it's not great that one of the smaller nations in their sort of chance to shine has ended up losing out to the weather, but it's not like it was a knockout a knockout game. Um, so I think it would have been wiser to call it a day a little bit earlier. But um, do you think there's any future in nine over cricket, George? Uh, <laughs> I don't think so, no. I really don't. Um, I think it was a good total, 79 for five. I thought it was not bad for nine over cricket. But I mean, I don't know. I think... I've seen these T10s have been happening round round for a while. I think I've only just got round to liking the idea of a hundred. Um, so I don't think any more. I think I think any more of that it's just there's no point playing, is there? You might as well say, oh, let's just have a super over. Let's just have a super over. Let's get all the teams down in one stadium where everyone gets an overreach. Whoever scores the most is the champion. It's just no point, is there? It's just no point. And I think exactly my point. Yeah, I just I just, I just think that. Did it when it went down to nine overs aside? Ultimately, has that changed the game so much that it isn't really even the same format? Was it even worth when the weather was around even trying to attempt it? Like, who was getting anything out of it other than the broadcasters, I guess? So, um, yeah, I mean, Michael Goff was one of the umpires, wasn't he? And he always seems to be pretty switched on in our sort of situation, you know, the fact that we're constantly in test match cricket calling players in for bad light when it doesn't even look that bad we're constantly shooting ourselves in the foot with that to then try and put that game on just didn't seem to make any sense to me no it didn't either and I think I think I read a quote somewhere I can't remember who it was from but they're almost considering like you said to try and make sure no bowlers got injured bowling underarm which I mean that would have been a moment in itself as well. But obviously, eventually, the right decision got made. Obviously, South Africa would be really disappointed not to walk away with those points because, I mean, they were dominating. But you've got to say the weather did play an impact. And I, and I guess as well, here's another question for you. Could there not be like a reserve fixture? Is there, are you telling me these competitions are so packed in that they can't have any point a reserve fixture in any of these stages for when bad weather has hit i suppose you can't have 20 days of reserve fixtures i suppose but there's got to be a bit of time where people are playing and i suppose you don't need all the time for recuperating but i guess it's that point isn't it where i'm, I'm i know quite a few of these teams are traveling all over the place at the moment for for their group for their group games so i guess that's the other problem as well you've got to factor in the traveling time rather than being centralised over just a couple of grounds, I suppose. Yeah, I think Mark, I saw Mark Wood mentioned um, after the game in, in Perth that they were then having to fly off somewhere else because obviously they're playing in such a vast area. So I guess that is part of the reason as to why. And Again, then if, if, the, if the reserve day then gets rained off, then where do you go from there, I guess? But um, it'd also be down to broadcasting and ticketing and all sorts, I guess, but... Yeah, I think as soon, like I said earlier, as soon as it went to nine aside, it was just a bit of a, nine overs aside. It was just a bit. I don't want to say pointless, but it, it'd be interesting to know uh, Mr. Kirby's thoughts on the on the game. Indeed, 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 it will, indeed, it will. Um, but obviously, as well, the the major game that we, I mean, we've got quite a few games to talk about here, haven't we? And I think the first one of the group, obviously, the big the big derby that. The, the sort of start of these group stages off 
Australia versus New Zealand. And I mean, New Zealand got off to an absolute flyer, didn't they, with um, Allen at the top of the order, 42 off 16 balls, a strike rate of 262.50. Obviously batted well with Devon Conway, who carried his bat through uh, the innings for New Zealand, 92 off 58 balls, seven fours and two sixes. Obviously, Williamson chipping in and Jimmy Nisha at the end as well. They got to a total of 200 for free after their 20 overs. Hayeswood, the pick of the bowlers, 2 for 41. Zampa also picking out one wicket. Australia in reply then, well, they didn't really even get going, did they? And they were bowled out for 111 all out of 17.1 overs. Top scorer was uh, Glenn Maxwell for 28, followed by Pat Cummings for 21. And I mean, the pick of the bowlers for... Uh, New Zealand saw Tim Southie, 2.1 overs, 3 for 6. Santner, 3 for 31. Trent Bolt, 2 for 24. And then Ferguson and Sode, um picking up one wicket each. And I think the most strange dismissal I saw in this game, Matt, I'll take your thoughts in a moment on this on this moment, was uh, David Warner's dismissal from Tim Southie. Quite an interesting sort of slog sweep sort of stop. They end up hitting on his thigh, then his shoulder, then his bat, oh, and then his stump. I mean, it, it was just, it was just, it was just weird, wasn't it? Obviously, I put down Australia. Australia is perhaps the the team I thought was going to win in the, in the home on the home soil, but they were completely um, taken apart by New Zealand, which I mean was fantastic to watch. But I mean, I was I was expecting a bit more of a close game. Were you not? Yeah, definitely, especially in Australia. Uh, before you brought it up I was going to mention it uh, you know if you look at the scorecard where it's uh, obviously David Warner bowled by Tim Southey um, you sort of just imagine like a sort of gentle in-swinger going through the gate but uh, if you haven't seen it please do go and try, try and find it I mean it's something else isn't it the fact that um, like I say a big old slog sweep that's going down leg side that's managed to come off his leg um, rolled up his arm and then as he's gone through the shot it's then hit at the back of his bat onto the stumps uh, <laughs> uh, it was definitely quite something something I haven't seen before but I said with England um, a few weeks ago it, it was like the balance of the side and I don't know like if you're looking at the Australian side it's almost like they're four they've got their four bowlers I know Pat Cummins can bat a little bit I mean Matthew Wade I mean has he done much for a long time is he just in there because he's the best you know, the one-day keeper, they think. And then their batsmen aren't, you know, with, with Mitch Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, you know, and obviously we know what Glenn Maxwell can do, but how often does he do it? Stoyness and Tim David. And again, I'd put Tim David in the category of Glenn Maxwell as well. You know, he's very much um, what our West Indian friend would say, isn't he? He's very much, uh, I've forgotten the quote again, George, but <laughs> it was a good one in terms of they're just out there to try and score runs very, very quickly, which I know you meant to do in this format, but there's not many proper cricket shots in there. Um, I just don't. I just don't know if the makeup of that batting lineup is. It's either gonna. It's either gonna fire, or if it doesn't quite go right at the top of the innings, who's there other than Mitch Marsh to sort of try and anchor it through and and bat? And I just think that if they do lose wickets early, then again, as the, you know, they're ten, well, eight, nine, ten, eleven of coming Stark, Zamper, and Hazelwood. You know, are they going to bail them out often? Whereas, you know, England can rely on down the order Chris Wopes or, you know, even Chris Jordan or David Willey with the bat. Um, so, yeah, I just, it was a strange one and it'll be interesting to see um, how much the Australian side sort of adapts and changes. Um, 
oh, I say from New Zealand, I thought Finn Allen played really well at the top top of the order and um, just had they got off to a really good start and just looked a, a much better outfit. And you know, there's not as many bigger names in that side if you look down the list, but they just seem to be definitely a bit more of a unit. And if Devin Conway can um, keep that form in terms of you know his proper He's really good to watch, isn't he, Devin Conway? I just think that he's put his proper shots, but can still score quickly, clear the rope as well. Um, I think they could be a dangerous side, and they've got a really good captain in, in Kane Williamson as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're definitely. I think you've definitely highlighted them there to be a definite contender for the uh, for the trophy as such. And I think. Um, obviously, back to the quote I've said, it's obviously swipers, not batters, is the quote that we're going to go with, and that's going to be the running quote probably for the next few weeks. And I think, I'm going to get it tattooed on me, George. I look forward to it. I look it's going to be my it. first tattoo. Right on the forehead, yeah, right on the forehead. <laughs> so, obviously, with that in mind, um, I think it brings up to an interesting question because I don't think it's just Australia that struggle with this. I think it's, been, I think it's going to be something that's going to be identified throughout this um tournament um, I think again we talked a lot of detail last week's show about the conditions and if you bat first you're more likely to win the game because of the pitch conditions but I think for the moment we've got quite a few teams that are quite reliant on um, batting first and setting that total and adding the scoreboard pressure as opposed to chasing and winning a game by chasing and I think there's quite a few players quite a few teams that obviously they play this form of cricket where you know they're, they've got a license, they're going, they're trying to be really, really attacking, being really quite aggressive when it comes to batting, and then they fall perhaps a bit short of short of the mark. I think obviously England might even fall into that camp a little bit, where you know I don't think as many games they've won this year, in fact, but they've chased, and they've I don't think they've won many games at all where they've been chasing over 170 runs. So with that in mind, you know I wouldn't just say it was in Australia, but I think it's more of a sort of game management and sort of dealing with the pressure and dealing with the thing of trying to chase down that scoreboard pressure because I think a lot of these teams I think imagine imagine if I'm if I'm Australia I'm, I'm going to want to bat first next game and put and show the show the rest of the competition that we are forced to be reckoned with you know go and set a big tour score of 180 190 plus which a lot of these grounds are going to need for you to defend on on these pitches in Australia and I just yeah I. I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how many games, again, are won by teams that are chasing in this format. Because I think more and more it's come towards more about setting a big total and then putting the scoreboard pressure on. Because obviously, when you then see these lower-scored games, you obviously then see the fingers being pointed towards the bowlers as such, as opposed to the bat- the batters doing their job. Yeah, it's a good point. Um Obviously, if, if we're looking at the games um, so far, um, India managed to chase down 160, that I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Um, and then Sri Lanka made quite light work of Ireland. But, it, I mean, England only chasing 112, still needed 18 overs and to lose five wickets. So, um, I think as the tournament goes on, it will be it will be interesting. I don't think the toss is going to be as important as it would be and what has been in, in the subcontinent at times. Um, but yeah, I think it would be a shame if it did go down that way again, that it sort of win the toss and bat, and, like I say, get big runs and, and go. It would be nice. To, we haven't really had loads of really close games yet, um, and hopefully we will um, as as the tournament progresses. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to see, you know, seeing England are up against Ireland next and, 
it'd be interesting if Ireland won the toss, what would they do? Would they want to try and, you know, normally you might get those smaller nations sticking the bigger nations in and then trying to just live with them and, and try and get the runs. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting. It'd be really interesting. And obviously looking at New Zealand's next game is Afghanistan. And again, you know, New Zealand are the stronger team there on paper, although Afghanistan have, have had their major scouts in the past. Um, they're both for the MCG, those games. So it'd be interesting to see um, how they go in terms of the toss there. But of course, we did see a pretty close game and a pretty bizarre finish in a way, didn't we, between India and Pakistan. Obviously, India walking away, winning by four wickets. But of course, it did go down to the final ball. And I mean, do you want to talk us through that match? <laughs> well, it was um, the atmosphere like on social media. Like Some of the clips you saw were just... It just looks amazing. And to, to sort of be at the MCG and 90 or thousands cricket fans, but obviously with an awful lot of Pakistan and Indian fans in there. Um, so Pakistan batted first and, and put on a 159 for eight. Um, in terms of their batting, not really getting going, obviously when you know we've seen um, Rizwan and Azza and Babar Azam sort of taking them apart you know, the, for the last few months, um, especially with that, that game where they knocked off 200 without losing a wicket um, for them both to be out. Um, so they were 15 for two, I think. And um, Azam went first ball um, to Arshdeep Singh. I haven't seen a lot of him, but he, he looked rapid and um, he's obviously um, left armor as well and was, was swinging it around corners. So he, he looked very dangerous, but he managed to get rid of both Rizwan and Azam. Um, it was then um, Shah Massoud, who we've definitely spoken about on this podcast before, um, who, who came out and scored a 50. Uh, he was unbeaten. Um, and then uh, Ahmed also scored 51 as well and hit some almighty sixes, um, whereas Shah Massoud sort of played a bit more of an anchor role. But yeah, they managed to get up to sort of 160 and, and they looked in control, really, Pakistan. And um, Again, really early wickets. India were, were 31 for four um, at one point. And then um, England's old foe, Virat Kohli, uh, managed to, you know, there's been a lot said recently about his form and he, he went that long, long period of outscoring 100, but it didn't manage to get 100 in this game. But to be 82, not out of 53 balls, um, really him and, him and Pandya put them into a position where a really big rebuilding job. And I think they needed 16 to win off the last over. <laughs> and then the last over, I'm just going to bring it up because it was it was definitely an interesting one. Um, so they needed 16 to win, and then Pandya went first ball. So then 16 or five. Um, there was then a single, and then a two, and then there was a couple of throughout the game. You could see that Coley was ticking a little bit, and interesting in terms of spirit of the game and the way that he talked to umpires and stuff. I think he was definitely getting in the umpires' ears a little bit. Um, he then managed to hook one for six, a full toss for six, which actually was then called a no ball. Um, and it was one of those ones on, um, he's sort of reaching out with the crease for it. And at that point where he struck it, it probably was at waist height, but it probably was coming down. So I'm not quite sure of the rule on that one, but obviously he was given a no ball. So that was seven no balls. Then there was a wide. Um, but because of the, the no ball, there was a free hit from before and then obviously the wide that carried over and then on the free hit a really good Yorker then bowled Coley but obviously hit the stumps then shot down to the fine leg where they managed to run three buys 
Then there was a wicket. Then there was a wide. And then they managed to uh, need one off the last ball eventually. And uh, Ravi Ashwin off his first ball managed to chip it over cover and uh, get through. So, again, when going into that last over, you know, if you can take a game, so the last over in a 2020 game, whether you're a batter or a bowler, you're definitely in the game. But Pakistan were definitely favourites, and especially when they managed to get rid of um, Pandya, who was looking fairly dangerous um, with a wicket in the first ball. You were thinking, well, this is done and dusted. And it just goes to show you that cricket is such a such a funny game and you're never really out of it. And I, th- I think the ironic thing there was on that, that free hit where um, it, it sort of clattered in, well, clipped off stump. And if it was a, obviously a legal ball, would have bowled Coley and they managed to get three runs off of it. And ultimately winning the game. So, um, but yeah, if we can get a few more games like that, it definitely will be a really good uh, tournament to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, at one point it was in, it was like I want to say twenty six or eight balls required, and then Cody then hits that straight six down the ground, which for me, you sort of went, "Oh, the this is going to get exciting," and it did get exciting for that point. And I mean. Kohli, I suppose he's been forgotten about, hasn't he, for for a while? And like this is sort of the, obviously no longer is captaining India in this uh, limited format match, but obviously eighty two or fifty three balls. Effectively, seeing his side his side home is a really really important contribution, you know. And obviously, we talk about the the greats, the games when we talk about the batting. You know, we talk about Root, we talk about Barazam, we talk about Williamson, we talk about Kohli, we talk about Smith. And obviously, as you've rightly, as you've rightly mentioned earlier, right at the start, Kohli being perhaps almost forgotten about because he hasn't really made many centuries in the last few years. So actually, this moment, he'll, it's sort of seen him to be standing up. So it's going to be interesting how how many more contributions he'd make or whether, or whether other players in India's team are going to stand up and sort of be counted away. But I think there was you'd be a little bit disappointed, I think, for Pakistan in this match, just for how well how well they played for a, long, for a lot of that game. For a lot of that game in particular. And obviously, you mentioned about Baba Azan and Rizwan at the top of the order, obviously not making the runs we perhaps saw in the England matches that we saw um, in the warm-up to this game, once to the game of the series, not making runs. So it gave other batters the opportunity to make those contributions, which we have seen, which is all in this match. And I think they've been a little bit disappointed to see, effectively, they lost the game on the final over, and you'd be expecting sides to defend 16 runs when you at this sort of format sort of going into place. Yeah, I think... Disappointed is a is a very strong feeling that they're going to have, and like I said, to almost get a win over India in a World Cup without Azam and Rizwan firing almost would have been, you know, an, an absolute bonus, and especially to be in that position. You mentioned it, and um, the two balls prior to the last over, Cody hit both for six, and it did make you think, "Oh, here we go!" Like you know, they they have got a chance, and. Um, Coley, I heard on the radio mentioned that he he's put up there with, I think his, his top score is 82 in T20 international cricket, and he's got it twice now. Uh, one was off 52 balls, and one was off 53. But he he put this one up there as his, his favourite or his most important, obviously just because of the stature of where they were. Um, but I think again, along with Australia, even though they've they've had a bit of a poor start, you'd be very silly to write any Indian cricket side off in any competition. Um, and they've got some, you know, very, very good players in there. I just think it's just such a good format and such a good competition because literally anyone could win it. And I think, um, obviously, next 
by the, by the time next week comes around and you know you're sat here having the similar conversations with other people the the whole you know dynamic can change you know you can fall out of form easy you can go back into it easy and there'll be definitely some shocks um and as long as there's some close games i think the neutrals will be happy yeah, absolutely. I think as we're starting to approach, sort of almost running out of time this evening on our Let's Talk Cricket, we've got to get, turn our attention to England. Obviously, another really good game between before we get to that point between Bangladesh and the Netherlands. Uh, Bangladesh winning by nine runs. Netherlands almost reaching their target of 145, but getting bowled out for 135 all out. Obviously, England on the 22nd of October played their first game against Afghanistan. And as you've rightly mentioned, we've, we've talked about it in quite a lot of depth, you know. Um... Stokes coming back, taking two for 19. Sam Current, 3.4 overs, uh, five for 10, which is which is crazy to think. Five wicket hauls first, five wicket haul international T20 cricket talk taking place, five for 10. And obviously Butler and Hales got into the teens, as did Milan. Livingston, obviously, the, the 29 not out. So would you say a quite convincing win for England in their first game there, Matt, against Afghanistan? Yeah, they're going to be, you know, ultimately you're going to, want to win your first game um, and I think it was amazing to see Mark Wood um, back bowling fast I don't think there's a, a you know I think I had a conversation with a few of my other cricket friends and just said there's not a more likeable character I think in English cricket and the amount of times he's come back from injury to see him bowling that fast first ball took a wicket and it would have taken you know an awful lot of um, batsmen would have got out to that ball um, I think the the whole fielding, the catching was brilliant, the bowling was brilliant, and the fact that it always seems to be at the moment different people chipping in. Um, I'm pleased in a way that we've sort of gone away from the Chris Jordan sort of mode at the moment, where yeah, he's sort of. I just I've, I think I've said on here before, I just felt that he's almost dining out on a few good years previously, and for someone to for like Sam Curran to, to step up and do what he did um, is really important because again. He just adds a bit more with the bat um, as well. So, yeah, I think that side of things, the fielding side and the bowling side, they're going to be really pleased. I just think they'll be a little bit disappointed that they didn't knock off the runs um, as quick as they could have done. Um, But again, you know, they're going to be happy. They've got the win. They're not going to be fussy. And ultimately, they're probably looking at it as if if they're having to rely on net run rate anyway, then they haven't really done their job. Yeah, absolutely. And so then finally, Matt, as we look to wrap up, England's next few games then in the T20 World Cup. Wednesday, twenty sixth of October, Ireland versus England. Friday, twenty eighth, Australia v England, and then next Tuesday, the first November, England versus New Zealand. Are those all winnable games for England, or are you expecting any hiccups or worries in any of those games? I think they will go into the Ireland game very confident, um, and again on paper, that's a game that they should be winning. The Australia game is actually Australia's next match as well, and they've they've got a big gap between that. So um, they've had a long time to sort of sit and stew on the New Zealand match where they've lost. They're also coming off the back of losing to England already twice um, a couple of weeks ago. So if England win against Ireland and keep on rolling through, and then they manage to beat Australia as well, um, that New Zealand game is going to be very, very interesting. Um, I think New Zealand have got Afghanistan in between there as well. So, again, that's a game that they feel that they should be winning. Um, so, hopefully, we'll, we'll go into that England-New Zealand game where they'll both be unbeaten and um, it should be a hell of a game. Um, I think, yeah, New Zealand have got Afghanistan and um, 
Sri Lanka before they play England. So they're definitely going to be looking at their being unbeaten going into that England game as well. So who knows? That could be um, could be a very interesting one. Absolutely, it could be a very interesting one indeed. And of course, you'll be able to find out all the analysis from that in, in next week's show here on Let's Talk Cricket here on Free Valleys Radio. Big thanks as always, Matt, for your company. Look forward to seeing you again next week. And thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Enjoy your week. Goodbye.